the 282nd edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! You are way to worthy, worthy five, the Tar Heels are going to win the national championship. Weber front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out foul. of timeout, technical foul, technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive, gets it back out to head, long outside shot, short rebounded, May, it's over, Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels, they are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champion. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony here with you guys once again today. Going to recap Carolina's impressive 100-92 win. Over the number 10-ranked Tennessee Volunteers last night in the Smith Center. Going to take a look at the box score, play you some audio from Hubert Davis, give our stat of the game, and so much more. But we'll go ahead and dive right into to arguably maybe the second most uh, important regular season win of the Hubert Davis era as Carolina took down the number 10 team in the country, the Tennessee Volunteers, in the inaugural ACC-SEC Challenge, uh, the first home win over a top-10 non-conference opponent since Carolina beat Gonzaga in December of 2018. And Carolina did it right from the jump as they they built a 61-39 to lead at the break on the first 60-point half recorded on Tennessee since 2006. And they were powered by their three best players, R.J. Davis, Armando Baycott, and Harrison Ingram, all three of those guys scored 20 or more to pace Carolina in, in, in like, I, like I mentioned, arguably the second most important regular season win under Hubert Davis. The only win that tops that is the, the regular season finale at Duke two years ago that uh, ended Coach K's home career and solidified the Tar Heels as an NCAA tournament team. And, and more importantly, for, for this team and this group, was another step uh, in, the, in the right direction in terms of making us fans trust and believe in this, in this team and this program once again. And just another sign that um, this year this team is different and they are, they, 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 they are putting last year behind them and really are emerging as a team to contend with not only in the ACC but also nationally. Yeah, I mean, it it could not have started any better for this team. 
Um, the way that they looked in that first half was, I, I mean, as good as I've seen Carolina look in a long, long time. Uh, and it feels like we've said that with a lot of the recent performances, especially in some of the second halves that we've seen. Uh, but really, I mean, it, it was never more true in this one. I mean, you were talking about the number one defensive team in the country, according to Ken Palm, coming in. And Carolina scores 61 on them. They were averaging, allowing 61 and a half points per game. And Carolina got 61 on them in the first half. I mean, you, we, were, we were talking about it. You know, for Carolina, one of the things they needed to be able to do in this game was come out and punch Tennessee in the mouth because you knew Tennessee was going to try to do that to them. They may actually physically try to do that to them. Well, Carolina did it almost immediately. And, I mean, Tennessee had no response. Like, you could see that Tennessee, you know, they've, they, they have started struggling a little bit more their last three games. Now, granted, they're against really good opponents, and at this point you have to put Carolina up there with that. They've struggled a little bit defensively. But you could see that they just did not have the offensive firepower to hang with Carolina because they couldn't hit the deep shot. Um, and... and that they they weren't able to stop what Carolina was doing. The ball movement from Carolina was amazing. Uh, they have found their rhythm shooting the basketball. You know, we were. It, it seems like so long ago now that we were worried about the, sh- the the shooting that this team got off to to start the season. Now, I mean, they went out to the Bahamas and all of a sudden they found their stride, and we're hoping that it's just going to continue to roll on throughout the rest of the non-conference season and into conference play. And it looks like it might based off of what we saw last night. But I, I think one of the big things that you have to do in from this game is you have to come away. There have been so many people that have been critical of Hubert Davis. And, you know, especially with, with what happened last year, you have the right to be critical of Hubert Davis. Last night, was the most prepared that Carolina has been for a big game like that. Um, you know, since that that game at Duke in Cameron. Um, but I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna say you could argue it's more impressive, but it's I mean, it is right up there with it because this was one that Carolina, I'm not gonna say they they had to have, but it was one that you really wanted to have because you do have two teams coming up that are going to be able to score the basketball uh, probably at will on you if you're not careful in UConn and Kentucky. This felt like the most gettable one, and not only did they go out and get it, early in the game it looked like they were ready to dish out a beatdown to Tennessee, which is what you love to see. It was fun to watch this team play in a big game and play well. Um, because they've played in a lot of big games over the last couple of years. They just haven't played very well, and it's not something that, um, as Carolina fans, we're not we're not used to seeing. And so um, it, it was kind of almost like a shock to the system that, oh, yeah, we, we, we play in these big games, and we can we, we can play high high quality basketball. Um, and I think more more than anything, it was a continuation of what you built and what you did right in the Battle for Atlantis. And that's what good teams do. That's what the good programs do. Um, they lay the foundation, and they build upon that foundation. 
as the season moves along. And and last night felt like another step for this team that's already got two really marquee wins on their resume. And as, as the month of November comes to an end, that neutral court win over Arkansas is going to pay dividends come Selection Sunday. And this win at home over a Tennessee team that has Final Four aspirations will also prove to be very worthy as the season moves along. Let's take a look now at the box score. And um, for Carolina, it's a pretty one. They shot 46% from the field. They were 28 of 61. Uh, meanwhile, Tennessee shot the lights out. Well, we'll talk about the defensive struggles a little bit later. Tennessee was 56% from the field. They were 35 of 63. Uh, maybe the biggest difference in the game uh, was three-point shooting. Carolina was 12 of 28 for 43%. Tennessee was just 9 of 28 for for 32%. So you're talking about three three different uh, or a three-point margin in terms of, of made threes for Carolina in an eight-point game. You can look at that and say, well, that's a big reason why Carolina won. Also, the free throw shooting, Carolina 32 of 38 from the foul line. Um, that's 84%. Meanwhile, Tennessee was just 13 of 16. Carolina, nine points, which led to 16 Tennessee uh, – or nine turnovers, which led to 16 Tennessee points. On the flip side, 12 ten Tennessee turnovers, 21 points for Carolina. Uh, the Heels won the rebounding margin 34 to 31, um, including 12 to 7 on the offensive rebounds. Um, the 12 offensive rebounds led to 13 second chance points. Bench points favored Carolina 26 13. Um, points in the paint did go the way of Tennessee 44 to 32. How about 20 fast break points for Carolina? Um, and the Heels assisted 19 of their 28 made baskets. Meanwhile, Tennessee with 13 assists on just their 35 made baskets. You mentioned Hubert Davis, the head coach of Carolina basketball. We'll now move to his quote of the game, and he was asked about his thoughts of the explosive first half he saw from his group. We're, we're going to talk about it here as we get deeper into our takeaways and, and, and our overall discussion. Um, it's, it's, it's the best offensive 20 minutes we've seen from Carolina under him. And, you know, when you, when you think about really the last time Carolina played and, and won a big game like that, you go back to the way they played against Gonzaga, um, in 2018, to me, this is what that this game feels like for, for this group. You go back to that 2018-19 team. And that was a team that would go 16 and 2 in the regular season in the ACC. Um, they would be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament and make the Sweet 16. That was their 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 launching point for the season. That was when that team came together, and from that point on, they really transformed into the team that they would eventually become. Um, and and this game very well could be that for this group. Um, and this could be the, the point where we look at it and be like, oh, this is when Carolina became, you know, a top three team in the ACC or a top 10 team nationally that's going to compete to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, that This is the type of momentum or that's the type of momentum that this game can provide. Um, and you got to give Carolina a ton of credit because they were prepared for the challenge, um, knowing how good Tennessee was. And this wasn't a, a Tennessee team that came in feeling themselves. They lost two games in Maui, um, albeit against the top two teams in the country at the time in Purdue and Kansas. But this was a team that was back on American or was was back, you know, 
on, on, on in this side of the United States, looking to get back on the right track, needing that same type of win that Carolina got last night to really jumpstart their season. And so it speaks volumes to the, the way that Carolina was prepared, but it also really speaks volumes to the way that Carolina went out there and executed and, and really played a complete offensive game. The stat of the game, um, I ultimately went with free throw shooting because Carolina was 32 of 38 from the foul line. That's 84%. So, A, they 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 made their, their, their free throws. But after all the defensive struggles and the fouling issues this team had in the battle for Atlantis, they only put Tennessee on the foul line 16 times. So Carolina made 16 more free throws than they allowed Tennessee to attempt. And when you look at it totally, Carolina made 19 more free throws in the game. And that's what you saw before the battle for Atlantis was Carolina getting to the foul line more frequently, almost double than the opponent. And it was really paying dividends. And, you know, that's how you score 100 points against the best defensive team in the country is you get to the foul line early and often. I um, mean, you make your foul shots with the clock stopped. It's why their points through a point, their, their points per possession were astronomical last night. And it's another reason why this team has been efficient on that end of the floor. And now we'll transition into overall takeaways um, from the game. And we'll, we'll, we'll start with the explosive first half because Carolina scored 61 points. As you mentioned, Tennessee entered the game only giving up 61.5 points per game, uh, and Carolina matched that in the first the first 20 minutes. It was the first 60-point half that Tennessee has allowed since 2006. And when you go back to Huber Davis saying um, that, that that's as good a 20 minutes that he's seen um, you know, since 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 he got here, which he's been here now 12 years. You know, my question is, is that the best 20 minutes of basketball this team has played under Huber Davis? You probably go back to the second half at Duke in that regular season finale um, where, where Carolina was able to win in Cameron or the first 20 minutes against Baylor in the tournament run two years ago when Carolina jumped all over the then number one seed and defending national champion Baylor Bears practically in their backyard. But, you know, you could argue this this was just as, if not more, impressive. I mean, Carolina shot 58% from the field. They were 19 of 33. They made seven three-pointers, and they were 16 of 16 from the foul line. It's, it's really hard-pressed to paint a picture and ask for a better half than what Carolina gave Hubert Davis in the first 20 minutes last night. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably say this this one is the most impressive. And part of the reason why is because this was Carolina basketball. Those halves, while they were great, it it, it really, you know, it's it still was that offense. It was really guys just making a ton of shots. And, I mean, look, to a certain extent that happened in this one, but I, I feel like – the ball movement was just so great. Carolina was able to get out and run. That was a big part of why they were able to have success as well. I mean, look, they had 19 baskets in the first half. 13 of them were assisted. Like, this looked a lot more like the Carolina that we're used to. They got to the foul line 16 times and made all 16 free throws. 
Like you're gonna you're gonna be hard pressed to find this type of path. And and I don't think that you can underscore the fact that this was coming in the best defensive team in the country. I know they weren't great against Purdue and Kansas, but those are two of the best teams in the entire country. For Carolina to come out and really embarrass Tennessee in the first half. I mean, we heard coming out of the half, Myron Metcalf, when they tossed it down to him on the sideline, said that Rick Barnes was just fuming. What was absolutely losing his mind on his kids about the fact that they just had the worst half that he had ever seen from them at Tennessee. And statistically, it was the worst half that they had ever had under Rick Barnes at Tennessee. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's hard-pressed to find a half like that. And the thing is that the, the thing that you love to see, I mean, Carolina had four guys that were in double figures. But you saw Armando Baycott sort of get back on track. Four of five from the field, seven of seven at the foul line in the first half. I mean, unbelievably impressive. Again, so much credit needs to be given to him for the steps that he has taken as a free throw shooter. Huge difference this year. Harrison Ingram, he was the guy that really started it off. 15 points for him as well. Three of six from beyond the arc, five of eight overall from the field. Uh, Also made both of his foul shots, which hasn't been easy for him. And then R.J. Davis was big uh, with 10 points. But the guy that, you know, I think most people probably wouldn't talk about from that first half because you're talking about the three starters that put up double figures was Cormac Ryan, who came in, did not know how much he would actually play, did not know just how healthy he was. He scores 12 points, seven of seven from the foul line for him. So very aggressive. And, you know, does go two of five from the field. So not a great shooting half from him. But again, brings the energy that you wanted to see. And that was the other thing that immediately stood out in this game for Carolina was that this was not a team that looked scared. This was a team that looked confident. This was a team that once again showed their leadership with guys like Ingram uh, and and Ryan. I, I think... It's you're hard pressed to find a half that was that impressive. And I got to be honest, even going back to some of the halves that Carolina had probably during the, you know, 2018, 19 season with, with Kobe White's crew, um, even the, the 16, 17 year, like it is really hard to remember a half where Carolina scored 61 points like that against a team that good defensively. That was just that was mind blowing and, and and probably the most fun that I have had watching Carolina basketball um in the last five plus years. I mean it was it was a statement right right from the beginning. Uh Harrison Ingram made, made a three and Carolina um was off and running and it it shows the the offensive potential and the firepower this team has. Um, and look, they're not going to score 61, probably in a half the rest of the year. But teams are, I mean, teams are now going to be worried about that. Like they, they, they like it's going to be in the back of their minds that if 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 they don't contain them, then they can just explode and, and really run teams out of the gym. You know, with, with with within the first 20 minutes. You mentioned Armando Baycott, and um, what a bounce back game from him. 22 points. Uh, he was six of eight from the field. 10 of 13 from the foul line. He grabbed 11 rebounds to give him his 71st 
double-double as a Tar Heel. And, look, Hubert Davis challenged him going into the game because – and we talked about it coming out when I got back after um, the battle for Atlantis. He wasn't very good in the Bahamas. Averaged just really over nine points per game in the three games down there. Um, and Carolina really won really in spite of him um, as, as, they won, as, as, as they went two and one. Um, and we said coming in, like, even though Tennessee and the Jonas Adu is, is, is a nice big, he's not a Hunter Dickinson, a Zach Eady. Mm-hmm. He's not one of those guys. But Carolina was still going to need Armando Baycott to to play at a high level to to give Carolina a chance. Um, and, and you see when he plays with the level of dominance he played last night, how easy the game became for the two other players that were in the starting lineup from a scoring standpoint that could really take over the game, and that was R.J. Davis, and that was Harrison Ingram. Um, you know, Armando you know, is a guy that's fueled by wanting to leave a positive legacy here. He's, he's chasing stuff to get his name in the Raptors. And I feel like the battle for Atlantis and the struggles allowed him to to really reset and really understand that if, if he wants to achieve the types of things individually and then collectively as as a group to get his, his jersey in the rafters and to leave that positive legacy, he's got to play better. I mean, he's got to play tougher. And I thought last night was as tough a game he's played um, in the last three years since he became the Armando Baycott uh, we 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 know him to be and what we love him to be because he was finishing through contact. He was inviting contact. He ran the floor as well as any point he has in his entire Carolina career. I mean, Elliot Cadeau found him on a beautiful uh, fa- uh, fa- fast break opportunity where, you know, he rebounded the ball on one end and ran all the way down the other for a dunk. And um, as, as great as R.J. Davis was, as great as Harrison Ingram was last night for Carolina – I don't know, A, if they win the game, or B, I don't know if they look the way they look if it wasn't the big fella getting it done on both ends of the court. Yeah, no, of course not. Of course they don't look the the same. And I, I think, you know, I, I don't know if Carolina even wins the game, to be honest with you. Like, Baycott, you needed him to bounce back in this one because, yeah, Adu is a guy that, I think, you know, we we would not have minded if he would have ended up at Carolina. Um, he was actually the last recruit that Roy Williams talked to before retiring. Um, and, and we saw him in person at uh, the Bash, which is a tournament that's held uh, down in Columbia, South Carolina. And there were a lot of things that we liked about him. But he's not a guy that handles physicality very well. And I thought last night, you could see that the physicality of Baycott to establish himself down low was really hurting Adu, and it, it just wasn't allowing him to be as successful as he wanted. Um, you know, for for Tennessee, they they tried to put in Cade Phillips, who was a little bit better defensively against uh, against Armando, but really, that that's the type of performance that you want to see from Armando more consistently than we've seen it at times over the last year and change here with the start of this year. Um, I do think, you know, you look at it, the performances at, at the start of the year that were so great for him out of the gate at home, this game at home goes into a neutral site or on the road 
that's been t- the, the times where we've seen him struggle a little bit. So definitely a guy that I think at this point we just kind of know when he's in the Smith Center, he's a guy, he, he's more comfortable. For some reason, he's going to play better there. And I thought last night he, he really stepped up. He got some important rebounds late in the game for Carolina. Only had two offensive rebounds, but nine defensive rebounds, which was five more than anybody else on the team. So he was the guy that was hit, that that was cleaning up the important rebounds that Carolina needed late in the game to help them seal the win. So great to have Armando Baycott back to playing uh, at the level that you need him to. But, look, he, he's got to be able to build off of this because now he, they, they need him to play well in the Garden. He did last year in the Garden. They need him to play well again this year if they have any chance of beating UConn. Yeah, and Donovan Klingon's probably the second best big that Carolina will see the the rest of the way, right behind Kyle Filipowski at Duke, and so um, it should make for a fun one next week in MSG. Well, you know, we we've talked about the game, we've referenced the score, and it was 192, which means that Carolina defensively wasn't wasn't where um, they have been at home, and not where you wanted them to be. Last night, and the biggest reason why it was don't connect was he was sensational. Um, as great as Davis, Baycott, Ingram were for Carolina, um, you could argue he was the best player on the court. He scored 37 points in 37 minutes, tying the record by a visitor in the Smith Center um, from Lionel Simmons from LaSalle back in 1988, and he did so very efficiently. Uh, he was 13 to 17 from the field. Um, his only misses came from behind the three-point line where he was four of eight, um, seven of eight from the foul line, grabbed six rebounds, handed out three assists, um, and left the game after he stepped on a Carolina player's ankle um, after he had really just willed Tennessee back into the ballgame. Um, first off, hats off to him, a great, a great individual performance. But on the flip side, this is now – the third straight game, Carolina's been cooked by one dude. You go back, it was Dixon from Villanova in the Battle for Atlantis. Then it was Tremont Mark of Arkansas, who was not in uniform last night for the Hogs, and yet Arkansas didn't need him to beat Duke, even though Carolina beat Arkansas by 15 with, with Mark on the court. And now it was Connect going up for 37. Um, and when you when you have three straight games of this, three's enough for it to become a pattern and it's going to be become a trend. And um, I think if there's one concern about Carolina right now that, 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 that maybe derails any excitement, any enthusiasm, is their inability to, to guard the wing. And we said going into the game that we knew it was going to take, you know, at some point in the season, Carolina would miss Leaky Black's presence. We said that happened in the battle for Atlantis. Um, it also happened again last night, and and to 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 uh, uh, at no fault of Huber Davis, they did try some different guys on him. I mean, mm-hmm. Jalen Withers took a run at him. Um, Seth Trimble took a run at him. Cormac Ryan got matched up with him a few possessions. Carolina simply had no answers for him. Um, uh, with, with this now being the third straight game, this this sort of thing has happened. How concerned should we be about Carolina's? ability or inability to guard the way? I would say somewhat concerned. Um, I, I don't think it's something that you should be panicking too much over because 
I mean, you are talking about guys that can score the ball at a pretty good rate. Eric Dixon might be the one exception. But the thing about Dixon is, is he was versatile. You did eventually put Jalen Withers on him, but he was a five. And there was times where Armando Baycott was having to try to guard him on the perimeter. There was just no chance that you were going to be able to slow him down. Um, Tremont Mark, I think part of that was that just that he was in the zone. I thought he had some incredibly tough shots that he hit, um, especially in that second half. And Carolina, as they came down the stretch of that game, did a much better job. And that was uh, just basically one guy just doing a better job of staying in front of him and making him have to take those tough mid-range shots. This one, I mean, this might be the one that concerns people the most because it just seems so easy for Connect to get to the lane at times. But also, I mean, we were talking about this today on the Mac and Bone show on the main airwaves of WFNZ. I mean, this dude is this this dude's gonna be talked about a lot come draft season. This guy is special. This is one that looking back when Tariel fans were very reserved about him and said, Oh, well, he played at Northern Colorado. Uh people were saying, I remember one person told me, Well, he could be the next Justin Pierce. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you think that after last night, uh, you may need to get a brain scan because this dude, this dude's a monster. Like, I mean, they're, they're a, a lot of it, you know, Carolina had a, had a tough time defending the dribble drive on any, on just about anybody. Um, J- Josiah Jordan James, I mean, uh, he, he was doing the same thing at times to Carolina. It, it just, there were there, there were definitely moments where it was way, way too easy for Tennessee, even for Connect. But at the same time, like, this is a dude that is pretty freaking special. And the one thing that I want, that I will credit Hubert Davis for, was we said, why did you not double guys when you were in Atlantis? You never seem to make that adjustment. He did last night. He waited, and maybe this is part of it. You don't want to double too early, and then they figure out ways to get around it. You wait until you really need it down the stretch and say, now we're going to throw something at them and double them and make them react to it late in the game. I think that's what they did. Um you know, it sucks that he got that he got hurt at the end, and that that seemed. I mean, Cormac's r- ankle roll uh, in Atlantis would look pretty tough. Um, this one looked even more severe. So hopefully, this is not something that that costs Connect an extended period of time. You just hate that for the kid. But I, I think Carolina, you know, did a great job on those possessions before he got hurt with the double team. It took the ball out of his hands. It made him take tough shots. That's what you're looking for with that double. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit concerning. Um, I think the bigger thing that I'm concerned about is them staying in front of guys consistently. The the, the thing that frustrated me the most, and you saw it again last night, and, and, and it was very prevalent in Atlantis too, there are times where this team will defend its tail off and – get it to a you know a, a late shot um with you know under 5 seconds on the shot clock or at times i mean we saw multiple times uh out there in the bahamas 
where they it led to shot clock violations because that's how good Carolina was playing defensively. Then there's other times where it is so easy for guys to just blow right by Carolina's defenders because Jimmy Dykes pointed out they open their hips up um, so easily. So I think the consistency defensively is what is maddening, and they need to find a way to be more consistent with some really good offensive teams coming up on the horizon. Yeah, the only thing I'll say is that um, the full-court press wasn't uh, prevalent last night, something that Huber Davis has done virtually in every game so far. So there was something Mm -hmm. in their preparation where they must not have felt comfortable doing it. I did think that once they started double-teaming him and really blitzing him on ball screens was was really something that uh, was effective because he he, he was they were doing it in a way that forced him to give the ball up, get the ball out of his hands. And at that point, if Tennessee would have beat you with their other guys, then you would have lived with it because you wanted the other guys to beat you. And so, um, you know, this is something that when we talked in the preseason with, with some of our people like Brennan Marks, one of the issues about Carolina starting Elliott Cadeau alongside R.J. Davis in the backcourt wasn't made Carolina smaller. I'm not saying this was the issue last night, but um, Carolina's got to find someone to step up consistently at that three spot um, to really help them lock down on the perimeter because this is going to be the way that you're going to expose Carolina defensively. Um, And I do think that whenever they're, they're rotating right and they're communicating, we've seen the pieces of this team being really quality on that end of the court. I mentioned Elliott Cadeau, and, and last night I think he he had his first real, let's call it a breakout game, if you will, um, and really showed you why there was so much hype, anticipation, and expectation upon him reclassifying to, to join the team um, this year because he had double-digit assists, zero turnovers, um, and really just paced Carolina Beautifully, and I think last night was him putting the nation on notice and letting the ACC know um, that he is a backcourt person that fits with R.J. Davis. And, um, you know, I I mentioned the pass he he made to Armando Bacon on on a pitch ahead that went for a dunk. You saw the passing on display last night, but, you know, he was brilliant to to, to not score – or, 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 or to not make a basket, he scored all five of his points from the foul line where he was five of eight um, and still control the way – and still control the game the way that he controlled it last night in his 31 minutes on the court just speaks volumes to the type of basketball player he is at such a young age. And um, I think last night was the first performance this year that validated – his decision to reclassify and join the team because we talked all summer about how he's going to take this team and this offense to another level. And what he did last night was the first real example of him doing just that. Yeah, I mean, it really was. And I think that the thing, like you, you pointed out the most interesting element of this and why he is such a great player because last night, the dude doesn't make a basket. If Carolina's point guards in the last few years, and you may be able to hear my my puppy in the background. She's very excited about Elliot Cadell. She wants to get her points in as well. Um, it, the thing about the last few point guards that Carolina has had, if Cole Anthony didn't make a basket, would Cole Anthony have really affected the game the way that 
you saw Elliot Cadeau the other night or last night? No. Uh, Caleb Love? No chance. Like, we we know exactly what Caleb Love, what, what it looked like so many times with Caleb Love. And credit to Caleb Love, that's an area where it seems like he has improved a little bit in at Arizona. But, like, this is this is a dude that, I mean, the comparisons to Kendall Marshall, to Ed Cota, like, they are on point. This, this dude sees everything. And he has the ability to, if he is not, his shot is not falling, he still affects the game. And it's, you know, again, I'm not going to say that there's as much talent as that 2012 team. That's a lot of talent. But in terms of the way that, you know, especially last night, the way that other guys can score it on the team, they don't need him to be a guy that scores it at a high level. If he does, there are going to be certain nights where he is going to have to score for Carolina. And I've, I've seen it. I watched it when he was in high school, and I watched some of the tournaments, Geico Nationals. He's, he has the ability to take over games if he needs to, and that'll come along the way. But the way that he was able to affect the game last night with just, I mean, some of the best passing that you're going to see. I mean, some of these passes, like how many other guys are honestly making that in some of these passes in today's college basketball? Like, I mean, the 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 one outlet pass that he had to, I think it was to Armando. I, I mean, like, come on, man. How many how many kids of his age are making that pass? And I get it. He's a year older than most seniors. He's he's got the experience of playing on the Swedish national team. This dude is a freaking monster, man. And I I thought last night was really. I mean, there. I, I thought he deserves more credit for what he did in Atlantis. Like, this dude did only had one turnover. But last night, I mean, to have 10 assists and not turn the ball over at all this early in his career in this big of a game, I mean, the sky is truly the limit. Or dare I say the ceiling is the roof for Elliott Cadeau this season. And it's why, I, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be really, really hard for him to be the guy that goes back to the bench when they are ready to put Cormac Ryan back in the starting lineup. I think it's probably a smaller lineup. I know some people were concerned about that when I brought this up. Um, but I think Jalen Withers will definitely go back to the bench, especially after you know another rough night last night. Um, and I think this is – a, a starting five that is as good as just about any that we have seen Carolina put out on the floor uh, in the past few years, really since that 2018-2019 season. And a big part of that is because what because uh, of what Cadeau can do. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about should he stay in the starting lineup in, in, in just a, a minute. The last thing um, from a takeaway perspective before we get into the discussion topics from last night's game, um, Carolina's doing the little things, and they're they're showing up in a major way in the stat sheet. They they won the offensive rebounding margin last night, twelve to seven. They won the second chance uh, margin, thirteen to four. Their bench outscored Tennessee's bench twenty six to thirteen in a night where 
uh, outside of Cormac Ryan, not a lot of bench minutes were played, but guys that, um, you know, the guys that made, made more of an impact, even in a, in a, in a limited minutes, then you, you factor in, you know, 20 points in the fast breaks. Um, you know, Carolina's just doing all the little things, kind of like the special teams, if you will, if you want to take a football term and add it to the basketball court. And and they're they're showing up in big ways, and and that's that's how you play well against against premier competition, um, and that's how you compete with teams that have the same aspirations that you have. Is you 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 do the little areas of the game a little bit better than they do, it shows up in a big way on the stat sheet, and it was a big reason why Carolina was able to to play the way that they played, and then ultimately win the type of game that that last night was which was a, a the, the type of g- g- game and the type of two teams that you could see playing in a an important game in March to decide a you know a spot in the sweet 16 elite 8 or maybe even the final four the two discussion topics um I want to have coming out of last night um is one regarded around the trio of RJ Davis, Harrison Ingram and Armando Baycott because they've established uh, themselves as Carolina's three best players. Um and in my opinion this is the best trio uh, of of guys Carolina has had since that 18-19 season of Kobe White, Cam Johnson and Luke May. Um and I wanted to see see if you agree or disagree with that but you know, when you go back to to, to that season, um, those three guys really paced Carolina night in, night out. You knew what you were going to get from those three guys every time they walked on the court, and that's a big reason why Carolina enjoyed the 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 success they enjoyed that season. Carolina hasn't had that to the level um, that, that that I feel like you have that now with with Davis, Baycott, and then Ingram. And, and there 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 aren't enough things I could say. About Harrison Ingram, I, I think the, his start to the season really backs up why Hubert Davis took his entire staff with him to Dallas when they were recruiting him out of the transfer portal, because he's been everything and more for Carolina on the offensive end, and he brings an edge and he brings a fire to this team that this team needs. This team doesn't have a lot of talkers; they don't have a lot of guys that are going to bark back at the competition. Harrison Ingram does. Every time he scores, he's going to, and especially if he scores over somebody, he's going to run down with a too small gesture. Or, you know, if, if someone fouls someone hard, he, as much as anybody on the roster, is going to be the guy getting in their face and, and or, or being willing being willing to commit to, to make a hard foul back and let them know that, that that's not acceptable here. And, you know, when I, I just look at this trio, you know, I, and I think about the potential that this team has and, you know, we picked them to, to finish top three in the league. You and I picked them both to make the final four. The biggest reason why is this this trio a player, and it's 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 the best trio that Carolina has had, in my opinion, since Kobe White, Cam Johnson, and Luke May. Yeah, I, I mean it's you're hard pressed to argue against it. Um because I mean there's just there's just a a level of consistency that was not there with Caleb Love. Um, I know that they got to the doorstep of a national title, and maybe maybe you could try to make the argument the year that they made the run that Brady Manick 
along with Armando and Caleb Love the way they play. But even that, it wasn't for a consistent period of time. This feels like this is going to this is going to translate throughout the entire season. Because I don't see Harrison Ingram really fading. We we knew this was a possibility for him. I don't know if we knew this was gonna be it, it was gonna be this good this quickly. Like I, I mean the fact that they came out and were pretty much running offense for him right out of the gate shows you the level of trust that they have in him and shows you that uh, he, he is a guy that was a much better player um, than he showed at Stanford. It's just that Stanford is just not a great place to go at this point right now. I, I mean, we love Gerard Haas. He did so many good things here as a part of Roy Williams' staff, but it, it just is is not working for him there. And I think Ingram kind of shows that once he got into a system that fit him a little better, that took uh, the pressure off of him, that he is capable of being a guy that can stretch the floor. He can, you know, he, he can rebound at a pretty high level. I mean, again, last night he only had six rebounds, but that was still second on the team. Like this dude is legit. And you add him to, you know, Baycott. And, and again, you know, we, we, we said, we want to see you know him become the same guy that he is at home more consistently on the road um but that's that's also at this point just kind of nitpicking with armando because he is such a good player he has such high expectations and then rj davis i mean dude there there is no way i am i am questioning this dude at all this guy is the real freaking deal and i i truly believe now that you've seen what he's done here especially the last two games, um, but even some of the games that we saw from him early in the season. Um, th- this dude, if he does not hurt his finger last year, he is a good enough player, especially late in games, that Carolina would have made the tournament. No no doubt in my mind, they find a way to make the tournament. Because, um, I-, I mean, some of the shots, and it really, believe it or not, it wasn't late in the game. It really felt like it was because of the score at that time. But when Tennessee was making their run, this dude hit some unbelievably important shots for Carolina. And, and I mean, we are talking about extremely tough because Carolina went very conservative pretty early in the half when they realized that Tennessee's making a run here. Hubert Davis and his staff, and it worked, credit to him, but – their their goal was we have to shorten this game right now because we do not want Tennessee finding you know these extra possessions that they could get if we continue to run a fast pace and for some reason we go cold. We don't want them getting the extra possessions that allow them to actually climb back into the game and potentially tie it or take the lead. Uh, but he hit some tough shots in the half court, and that's the thing that you love about him. So, yeah, in that respect, and I think last night was a great example of it, you would feel like, yeah, this is the best three threesome that Carolina has had leading them um, since that 2018-2019 that, that crew. But the other thing is, is you can also include Cormac Ryan. Like, this team is four deep. Cormac Ryan has, has found his stride a little bit. Um, last night wasn't his best performance, you know, especially from the field, three of nine. He also fouls out. That's probably not something you're going to see too often from him. But this dude still found a way to score 15 points in this game. 
And that's where I think Carolina, you, you've got just depth on the on the team, but you also have depth in terms of the number of stars that you have on this team. And that's something we haven't really been able to say in a long, long time. The last thing we want to talk about is that starting lineup. You, you were referencing about, you know, you think Elliot Cadeau has solidified himself as a starter. Um, even once once Cormac Ryan is 100% healthy and – I to me, there's more of a discussion to be had there, just because, you know, a you like having what Elliot Cadeau can do, um, and you bringing that off the uh, off the bench is invaluable because how many teams in the country are going to have a bench player as as good as he can do? But I also think you look at the, the some of the defensive struggles this team has experienced, um, really since the battle for Atlantis onward. It's not by it's not by accident. It's been with him playing more minutes and and having started a few games. And you know, Brendan Marks joined me in the preseason and said, you know, look, one of the concerns about playing him and R.J. Davis together a lot is that it makes for a small backcourt. Um, there were times last night that Tennessee's bigger guys were able to rise up and shoot over him, and there was there was nothing that nothing that he can do. I think from an offensive standpoint. You're not you're not worried because him and R.J. Davis they fit they mesh it works together um, and, and and I feel like that's the best offensive five that Carolina has to offer. I don't think it's the best defensive five. I think if you 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 put Cormac Ryan at the two and you you roll with with Withers at the three, Carolina is better defensively because they're bigger defensively. And so I think that's going to be something that Hubert Davis is going to have to make a decision on. Are you going to play your five best offensive players together, or are you going to start maybe your 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 best lineup that allows you to compete defensively? I think depending on what the starting five looks like, we might get a definitive answer with the game against UConn and the game against Kentucky upcoming. Like, if if, if if you see the starting five that you saw last night, which is Cadeau alongside R.J. Davis, and and Carolina excels and competes, and even if they go 2-0 and or even 1-1 one one in those games, it might be hard to take him out of the starting lineup. But if you start him and Carolina continues to get exposed on the defensive end of the court – maybe that's where the change comes in and realizing he might be a part of our closing five, but starting out the game, we got to have guys on the on the perimeter that can defend better than he can right now. So I, I, I know you said that you think it's going to be hard-pressed to take him off the court. And from, an, and from an offensive standpoint, I'm with you, but Carolina can't keep on getting carved up like this defensively, and that might be the biggest reason why he doesn't start alongside R.J. Davis in Carolina's backcourt. I mean, yeah, it, look, it's it's certainly an, an argument against it, and I understand it, but I do think that, I mean, at this point, he is not the only weakness on the defensive end of the floor. So to me, for this team, I think that their goal, I think they need to realize, and they probably do, that they are not the best defensive team and that they are going to win a lot of games by scoring the basketball. And the one thing that he is able to do is facilitate the ball at an extremely high level and really allow Carolina to settle 
into their offense. And and I think that's important early in games as well. Yeah, you've got to defend at a high level early, but this team, they, they have to be able to score the ball. Because I think even with him off the court, um, you know, Seth Trimble's been good. But, I mean, we've seen it. Like, what Seth Trimble, if he was out there to start the game last night, I mean, is he a guy that's stopping Dalton Connect? That No, because that's not who he's matched up against. Um, so I, I think I, I see what you're saying. And to me, like when I say you can't take him off the court, I, I mean, you can't take him out of the starting lineup. He played 31 minutes last night. That's a lot. Um, I, I think you probably could have seen a little more set Trimble. But part of that was that they were riding the hot hand of a guy that was just on fire moving the basketball. Um, I think there will be other games this year where he may not be um, quite as hot moving the basketball. Um, one of the things that we've noticed with him is, he, you know, early on is he's gotten into some foul trouble. Last night, three personal fouls, which, you know, is not great, but is much better than what we saw from him in Atlantis. So there will be times, more times than not, where Seth Trimble is going to play a significant role and then the the numbers or the the minutes will be rather even. And the other thing is, is that, look, even if you keep Elliot Cadeau in the starting lineup um, and let's say he's just struggling that bad defensively or, I mean, vice versa, if you want to put Seth Trimble into the starting lineup, um, you, you can always take these guys off the floor quickly if you realize, okay, Things things are not going well here out of the gate. I mean, we've seen Hubert is not messing around this year with substitutes. He will do it, I, I mean, before the under-16 if he really feels like he needs to get somebody into the game. He's aggressive with those this year because, frankly, he likes this group a little bit better uh, than the group last year in terms of the depth and, and, and the guys that can impact the game coming off the bench. So, I mean – the other argument that I would have towards it is we saw Seth Trimble start a game. It did not start out great uh, against Northern Iowa. Now, I'm not saying that's all his fault. It certainly was not all his fault. But the games that we've seen Elliot Cadeau start, Carolina, the back-to-back games now, Carolina's gotten off to really good starts out of the gate. So that would be my main argument for keeping him on the court is that we've seen both of these guys start – and one clearly has the team playing a little bit better out of the gate. Yeah, there is no denying that. That, that uh, which I mentioned, that it's it's their best offensive five. And you just worry about the defensive stuff. Will will, will Carolina be able to hold up on that end of the court? Um, it, it, it's why it, it's kind of unfortunate that Paxson Wojcik's time as a starter was was very short lived. Because um, now Carolina's back to searching to really find that 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 right consistent guy at the three spot. But you know the good news is is they have options and they haven't had options in the years past. And ultimately, I think you should be confident that Huber Davis is going to make the right decision because so far to start the year he he he's made the the right decisions more often than not. Well, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. But before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to stop by the website. Um, That's HeelToughBlog.com, where it's full throttle with, um, of course, basketball season in full swing. A recap of the Tennessee game is there for you guys. And, of course, we'll have you covered with the Florida State game um, this Saturday as Carolina dips into conference play for one weekend. Um, 
before they get back into the non-conference season against some of the, the, the best that college basketball has to offer. Also, Tar Heel football regular season has come and gone, um, which means the transfer portal is active, and Carolina has seen a handful of guys into the portal, and Carolina has already landed a transfer uh, quarterback commitment as well. We're keeping you up to date with all the transfer portal news, so make, make sure you stay locked in. That's HeelToughBlog.com for the latest on Carolina basketball and Tar Heel football. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us, every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the podcast throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.